0: All right, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11 this morning. Um, Matthew chapter 10 ended essentially the first year of Jesus' public ministry. Okay, So if you think there's 28 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, it took us 10 chapters to get through the first year. Um, I would say this, even over the the last uh, 18 or so chapters, the timeline will start speeding up a good bit. Um, uh, and most of the Gospels, sometimes the whole last half of a Gospel concerns only three three weeks to three months of Jesus' public ministry. So you, it's not always balanced in the way it's telling the story. Uh, Matthew, uh, as we know, is a one of the 12 disciples handpicked by Jesus. He was probably one of the middle to last that were uniquely called out. We saw that last week. Um, Jesus had preached the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew was a tax collector, and we recall what Matthew's name is in other gospels. You can say it out loud. It's fine. Levi, Levi thank you. So it was good Southern boy. So Matthew Levi uh, was his name. Uh, so if you read other gospels and you don't see Matthew in the list of disciples, it's because his mama didn't call him that. His daddy did. I'm going to call him Matthew. But uh, um, he worked for Rome, and uh, and there's no small bit of irony in the fact that the most Roman-looking of the 12 disciples, if you can kind of see the motley crew. Y'all y'all have, y'all have kids? Y'all, let me back up. Who has, like, teenage kids? All right. Can you tell which one of your teenager's fellow classmates... <clears throat> Fit the cool kid model, or the rough kid model, or the bad boy model. Like, you know what I'm talking about? So, let me get a drink of water. Someone coughed out there. Just trying to commiserate with them. Good morning, welcome. It's right here. I know sometimes you try to sit away from me, so um, it's understandable. It's understandable. Um, but uh, of the twelve, you could walk into a room and you could pick out like. <laughs> Which one of these is not like the other? Because he was wearing Roman clothes, had Roman shoes, probably Nikes. Um, and uh, you get it? It's because it's a joke. Okay, uh, so he stuck out. The irony in that is, of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the most Jewish-sounding book is Matthew. He, he refers back more to Old Testament passages. He refers back to Old Testament imagery more than than any of the others do. It's almost like Matthew reached back and walked forward, whereas the other three Gospels, um, I mean, Mark especially, started at Jesus as an adult. He doesn't even deal with the fact that Jesus was ever even born or a baby. He's just like, all right, Jesus is here, let's go. So other Gospels tend to be more forward projecting, whereas Matthew kind of reaches back, uh, and it is the most Jewish. We talked about the reason why being that at the time of, of Matthew's kind of writing, a good majority of the church was still very much ethnically Jew. So he was trying to kind of petition and convince and encourage them to understand Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Now, Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to tell you what, it, it seems somewhat disconnected and disjointed. Um, and I don't think it is. It's just, it's just the way uh, that, the, that the stories are structured. And we're going to see something in Jesus that may, I hope it makes you a little uncomfortable in terms of the way, air quotes, the world perceives Jesus as this docile, you know, always, uh, you know, always very demure, always proper in his place. uh, Because Jesus, uh, he seems almost unprovoked and leans into a verbal attack on some folks, which I think is awesome. Come on in. Uh, In Matthew chapter 11. So Uh, In Matthew chapter 10, at the very end, Jesus has called the 12 to him. He has taught them over the course of a year. He's taught them both just by being around him how how to notice parables, right? So I want to tell you a story about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a table with a Coke on it, right? And there it is. And so Jesus would make up this story on the fly. And he is teaching constantly, teaching the disciples how to... Focus on the mission of God's kingdom coming through Jesus and how to help people understand that through story, okay, which we call parables. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus collects the 12 and says, I'm going to send you out to do this thing, but then I'm going to come find you in this process. So he's going to send them out, what I've been calling the Rankin County Scott area, Scott County area of Israel. Um, This is, I wish I could blow that picture up a little more. Um, but the top pink section where you see where it says Galilee, can y'all see that? I, I'm in that season of life where I'm starting to take my glasses off to read my, my little eye doctor told me, she, she said, next time you come in, sir, Mr. Clark, we're going to put you in some bifocals. I said, uh, I'll be finding me a new eye doctor. Thank you very much. Um, but the top section, kind of the top pink right here, um, this is where Jesus is going to spend 95% of his ministry. In the Gospels, if you're reading about something Jesus did, it's mostly here. He heals the demoniac, uh, he feeds 5,000, he walks on water, all of in this area, okay? Um, in a minute, we're going to talk about John the Baptist. He is actually in prison down here at Herod's summer, summer home, uh, but he's going to be down here. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Anyway, so most of what Jesus is doing is up here in Ryan County, Scott County area of, uh, of Israel. Uh, good people, salt of the earth, some highly educated, many of them not. Um, probably a lot of chicken fowl farmers and fishermen, right? Just good old people. So, verse 1, now that we've given that very elongated introduction. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to the 12, right? Go teach, uh, go preach, and then I'm going to come find you because you're going to be doing it wrong. And I'm going to help correct that. Uh, Jesus departed from there to teach and preach in the cities. Beautiful strategy, by the way. Beautiful strategy. Those of you who are raising small children, give them tasks to accomplish out in the yard and then walk away. And get a minute to yourself. Okay? This is what Jesus did. He's like, he sent the toddlers off to daycare. He's like, no, this is a very important job that only you can do, and now I'm going to get some time alone. And uh, so that's what he does. And he goes out by himself teaching and preaching, almost going all the way back to when he came out of the wilderness and started preaching as a solo artist. He was kind of getting uh, spiritually renewed. I guarantee you he spent lots of season in prayerfulness uh, and just kind of being by himself. He sent the 12 away, sent the crowds away, and he goes out by himself. Um, Now, When John, now that is John the Baptist, okay, John the Baptist at this point has been imprisoned. Uh, He had been imprisoned by King Herod. King Herod was, uh, we we talked about him, he was somewhat of a a lunatic. Um, He had, uh, he got jealous of his wife because she was so pretty and then had her killed and then got really mad about that because he had done that and he bombed her in honey and kept her in his room. So he could have her with him at all times. It, weird. Anyway, uh, so Herod comes to, to that point and he realizes he likes uh, to be married to someone else. Specifically, he likes um, his brother's wife. So magically, as if by happen chance, um, uh, his brother comes up dead. And he moves in his brother's wife and marries her. Okay? You with me? Not not the best guy. And John the Baptist did not mince words. He was preaching against Herod's sinful behavior. Everyone knew this wasn't a conspiracy theory. No one gets stabbed 32 times in the back and gets called a suicide. That's not how that works, Herod. And John the Baptist was calling him out on it, going, that's not how we're going to play. You ought not have your brother's wife. So, being the king that he was, he put John in prison. And uh, John and this new queen didn't appreciate John's uh, rhetoric. In prison, John is sitting there staring at the wall day by day. Um, His crowd of, of people to preach to is essentially just his disciples who can get in and visit him from time to time. They bring him food, water. That's how. There was not a, a organized prison system as we understand it. So if you got taken care of in prison, it was because your family came to offer what care they could. And in this case, where are John's parents? They're, They're long since dead. They were in their 80s when he was born, and now he himself is in his 30s. They're gone. They they've been dead for some time. He's an, he's an orphan, uh, and he's kind of been a radical preacher. So if he didn't run you off with his preaching, uh, he didn't have a lot of close friends, but the ones he did have were tighter than family. And uh, so they're going to see him. And John's sitting there staring at the wall, marking day by day, you know, one day, two day, three day. And he starts to get discouraged because in his mind, I've been out in the wilderness preaching that the kingdom of God was coming. I met Jesus. I baptized Jesus. I saw all the things, and heard about all the things that Je- I don't. All the things that Jesus was supposed to be, aren't happening. So he sends a messenger, probably one of his disciples, to Jesus down here from that area where I pointed, kind of in that middle bottom long pink section. He sends a messenger up a couple days to Jesus. Verse two. Now when John while in prison heard of the works of Christ he sent word by his disciples and said to him Are you ex- are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else I've heard a lot of people talk about what this means that that uh, John had doubts and John had concerns I I I think the brothers in practical solitary confinement um Jesus wasn't acting like he thought he would act. I don't think this is an, an accusation as much as it's just a, a broken heart trying to figure out. Um, when we pray for things, when we hope for things, and those things don't come to fruition, we, we, get, we get question marks. And then when life hands us a, 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 a period of time where there's no winds in our sails and we don't seem like we're making any momentum... And maybe our kids are acting a fool uh, or our spouse is acting a fool or the world is going crazy or we're not quite sure of the political or, uh, or military stance and we just kind of get unsettled. I think this is where John is. I don't think he's doubting Jesus. I think he's just, his heart is broken. And he says, shall we look for someone else? Keeping in mind that the Old Testament promoted a Messiah that would bring peace through military overthrow. Will that happen? Well, yeah, it will happen. It will happen when Jesus comes back. It says he's going to come back on a white horse, and he's going to come back with an army, and he's going to set up his kingdom. They didn't understand that interim, and in solitary confinement, John's got his hand in his his head in his hand, going, what did I miss? Like, really, what did I miss? And they said to Jesus, er, that John said, are you the expected one, or shall we look for another one? And then Jesus rattles off passages from three different parts of Isaiah in rapid succession, adds his own little flavor to it, and then sends John off with not a rebuke, but kind of a, a light, hey, kind of a pat on the butt going, hey, we're, we're going to get there. Quit being so ornery. We're, we're going to do this. He says this, go and report to John what you hear and what you see. I love that. They didn't just tell the disciples of John. They said, hey, hang around. We're going we're to raise somebody from the dead here in a minute. It's going to be cool. You tell them what you saw. There's going to be a lame man. There's going to be a guy with leprosy. We're going to fix all that. But also I want you to go back and tell them the sermon we preached because that's the whole point. He says, go, go tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, those of you who are taking notes, I'm going to rattle off some scripture references you can read in your own time. Isaiah 29, 19. Isaiah 35, 5. And Isaiah 61, 1. All of those passages of scripture, Jesus just basically pulls them out of different parts of Isaiah and then puts them together in a nice little email and says, send this back to John. Now, is the book of Isaiah um, instrumental to John the Baptist's ministry? Those of you who are Bible scholars, tell me if you think that the book of Isaiah is a uniquely good book to talk about when we talk about John the Baptist. Well, he's talking about Jesus coming, and it talks about who Jesus is. Okay. This one will come out of the Yes, it's Isaiah that has that famous passage that a voice crying in the wilderness will be proclaiming the coming kingdom of God. If, if John the Baptist knew any Bible book best, I guarantee you it was Isaiah. And I think Jesus knew that too. And Jesus was like, all right, I'm going to send my brother a little help here. Uh, we're going to give him all a bunch of Isaiah passages and we're going to send him off And he kind of sends him off with a little bit of a soft rebuke in verse 6. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. He's basically saying, I know I'm not what you expected, comma, yet. Don't, Don't be offended that I'm not doing things the way you thought I would. God doesn't always operate like that. Okay? So John has doubts and concerns and fears. Jesus sends him back this sweet little, you've got mail. I love you. Bro, here's Isaiah, 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 Isaiah. Don't be offended that I'm not playing by what you thought I was the playbook. I've got a secret, I've got a secret playbook. We're going to call some audibles, right? I've got to keep the devil in the dark, but there's other stuff going on. And then in verse 7, As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. Now, so they saw the, the crowds are there, like you're the crowds today, Right? And they, and remember what we talked about the crowds, there's always in the crowd three groups of people. There's, there's the Pharisees, the disciples, and a lot of the disciples, the 12, are the main 12, are out and about. So, But there is still a contingency of people that are followers that are here, and there's always the crowd. So the crowd's always the largest group, the, the expressed disciples that are following Jesus, camping out with him, living in the same region with him, and the Pharisees. And so, They see this interaction that happens between John's disciples and Jesus, and if you're not careful, uh, if you don't know what's going on, you're sitting there going, Jesus just dogged out? Blessed is he who doesn't get offended by me. That sounds like a little bit of a rebuke. And so Jesus calls everybody in and says, all right, huddle up real quick, huddle up, huddle up. You need to know something. Uh me and my brother can talk like that but let me just go ahead and shut down the rumor mill before it gets crunk up look what he says in verse seven now as these men were going away jesus called the crowd uh, or began to speak to the crowds about john what did you go out into the wilderness to see all right so he puts it back on them many of the people who were following john the baptist initially are now followers of jesus the the text tells us earlier in matthew that the whole uh, the whole nation, that is to say, a large portion of the population. John the Baptist was a, a public figure in their pop culture. They probably, if they had memes, they had memes of John the Baptist they're sharing with each other on their iPhones. Um, he was a popular uh, uh, person within the culture. Um, he, Jesus would even reference John the Baptist later on in Jerusalem before they tried to crucify him. So everybody knew John the Baptist. He was a polarizing figure. Everybody knew who he was. And, and Jesus was like, before you think I just laid the smack down, let me go ahead and clarify. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Did you, do you see that? What, what, picture that. A reed shaken by the wind. What does, that, what does that say to you? Does it project strength or weakness? Weakness. Okay. So Jesus says in this really sarcastic tone, and yes, Jesus had a sarcastic gear in his transmission that would put y'all to shame. Okay, he says, "Did you go out to see uh, this great? Uh, did you see a a weakling out in the out in the desert? Is that what you went out to see?" And everybody's like, "No, we we heard John preach. He could lay it down. We know what we went to look for." Verse eight, but what did you go out to see? Again, sarcasm. Did you see a man? Dressed in soft clothing? Well, of course not. What, what were we told that John wore? Camel's hair. Camel's hair. Uh, have you ever read in a camel? camel? I've read in a camel. Read, it's, it's a delightful animal. They spit and they... Uh, the, the camel I rode must have been six million years old. Because uh, when it stood up, it just kind of looked over its shoulder and it was like, Really, bro? Uh, lose a couple pounds. And, uh, but coarse hair right? Not soft. You didn't go out to see some guy dressed in some soft, fancy suit. Y'all know what y'all were looking at. He was a tough guy. He was a rough guy. He wasn't weak. He wasn't a reed being blown around by the wind. He was a rock, you know? He was strong. He says, so those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. Now, what does that sound like if we're talking about sarcasm and we know that John's in prison by who? Herod, what was this? This was a shot. Like, oh, look, we know, look, you went out to see someone tough. We all know who soft people are, right? Right? Uh, I don't have to say his name, but we all know his initials are King Herod, okay? Um, So Jesus kind of makes this jab. Like, we know where people who have soft, they're in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, that one is, uh, and one who is more than a prophet. John is, he's, gonna, he's just gonna say something here that is the most powerful uh, uh, performance review anybody could ever get. This is the one whom I sent. It is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Isaiah, right? Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. All right. Now, whether you are the first time you've ever attended church is this morning, or whether you've been in Sunday school nine months before you arrived into the world, name me some Old Testament characters that are just big names. Go Moses, Moses. Abraham, Abraham. Jacob. Jacob, who else? David, David. No. Noah, Elijah, who else? Samson. Samson, all right, all of them. Maybe Samson's not the best character, but we'll... He'll be in heaven too, all right? Uh, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of these prophets, these are people who, even if you've only been to church or even driven by church, you know you've heard the name Moses and Abraham, right? And Jesus just said, John the Baptist... Who wears scratchy clothes and went out in the desert eating honey from a, a bees fanny and locust. He's the greatest man that ever breached the womb. Now it's one thing for me if you if you, you're gonna go apply for a job and you put me as a reference. Right, and by the way, if you put me as a reference, please call me and let me know that that's happening. <laughs> um, but also know that uh, if they call me for a reference, you're going to get the finest reference that has ever referenced, uh, except for this one. It's not me that's referencing; it's Jesus, and Jesus says, "I've heard a lot of preachers throughout the years. Nobody even comes close." To John the Baptist. Now, who's sitting over here? Pharisees. Pharisees. Who is their big? They're they're big fans of who? And Moses and all the other writers. And he just said, "Hey, no one's better than John. You better know that." Yep. The one. This is so good. Who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Do y'all have any... Where, where does this least of these language... Where, where does that remind you of? Go back just a few chapters in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. What was Jesus saying? Not to the Pharisees, but to the crowds. The least of you are blessed. Blessed are you who weep and are mourned and are brokenhearted. That's who God's going to salvage and save. You... You've been told you're inconse- inconsequential and you're nobodies by these religious nutjobs. I'm telling you, I'm lifting you up, Jesus. God loves you. And he comes back over. He gives this incredibly ridiculous performance review of John the Baptist and says, but if you're the least in the kingdom of God, you're greater than him. Jesus is constantly lifting the brokenhearted up, and he is constantly bringing the hum- the, the uh, prideful down. Now if you're going to take notes, this is going to be good, you can tweet this out if you want. God always brings law to the arrogant and grace to the humble. Law to the arrogant and grace to the humble. So if you are in a hard time and you find yourself going through scripture and this is just free for your dollar, if you're walking through a season, and you keep coming across passages of law and things that you're supposed to do and things and standards you're not living up to, I'm going to tell you there's something in your heart that's arrogant, and God is communicating to you, uh, do these things. And you go, did them all, insufficient, keep working harder. And you go, well, I can't, I can't, I can't. And he goes, okay, now we're getting somewhere. I'm going to give the arrogant law, and I'm going to give humble people grace. Fast-forwarding to what we call the rich, rich young ruler. Do you all remember that story? Mm-hmm. Where the man comes and he falls down before Jesus and he says, uh, what must I do to it, inherit eternal life? What did Jesus tell him? Pray the sinner's prayer. Is that what he said? Yeah. No. What did he do? Yeah. He gave him law. Not because law saved him, but because what did Jesus detect in him? Arrogance and pridefulness. And says, nope, you're not ready. You're not ready. When you realize how little you are, that's when you'll realize how much you need me. And this is what Jesus is saying. Verse 12, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. Uh, this is a kind of a weird passage. Uh, you know, it, it, commentators are divided on how it fits into this narrative, but essentially Jesus is saying, uh, at least in a big picture kind of way, uh, he's saying, look, y'all know John's been arrested. Y'all know his sermon. Y'all heard it. Y'all know Herod. Y'all have heard him. Y'all know what's going down. The kingdom of God will not always, in this temporal time, be a place of peace. You keep talking about Jesus, you keep holding to orthodox biblical values, people will come after you. People will not like you. People will insult you and hurt you. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, the kingdom of God, violent men hold on to it and violent men pursue it. Okay, that's fine. I don't think I have a fear of the future, but I, do, I worry about this more and more for my children. Um, like, man, not are they going to be faithful. God's kingdom will always be faithful. There will always be a church. There will always be a people of God who are called out that follow the Lord, always but I look at my kids and I go, I don't want them to get punched in the face all the time. But God will sustain. Let's get to the end of the chapter in a minute, and I'll bring some peace back to this uh, narrative. But that's what Jesus is saying. The violent, violent men will come and take it by force. They will try to destroy you. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Now, just this is just a, a fun fact for you, As you're taking notes. The prophets and the law, the law and the prophets, is a code word for Hebrew Old Testament. When Jesus was walking around the earth, um, telling the stories, telling the parables, there were scrolls. There was already a collection of scrolls known as the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. What what the Hebrew would make, the the contemporary Hebrew person may call the Tanakh, uh, or the Hebrew Bible, it already existed in Jesus' day. Now, not as... Cleanly printed as we have, but it was there; it was already present. And Jesus is referring to that. He's saying, "You can go all the way back, go all the way back to Adam, go all the way back to Abraham and Moses, and go all the way through the Old Testament. And since then, that passage for the old, the whole Old Testament prophesied all the way up until until John. And what is it? What are they prophesying about? About Jesus. All right. If you are willing, verse fourteen, to accept it. John himself is Elijah, who was to come. Now, I wish we had about an hour to sit here and unpack that passage. John the Baptist himself, when asked, "Are you Elijah?" he said, "I'm not Elijah." I think what they're saying is, "Are you a reincarnate?" You know, Elijah never died, right? Elijah went to heaven. Did, are you Elijah that was in heaven and you've come back? I think that's what John's getting at. Jesus is saying. The the messenger of the same stripe and caliber and potency of Elijah that you were told was coming back, that was John. Don't miss it. Okay, So uh, John himself is Elijah. And then he he gives that weird cryptic verse 15. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you are, basically saying, if you're capable, if your heart is capable of receiving this truth, try to receive it. But even Jesus knew what he just said was a tough pill to swallow. Okay, verse 16. But to what shall we compare this generation? Now, this is where Jesus, did y'all see me when I did that? sat back in his chair and kind of straightened his cut a little bit, and he says, now, I want to tell y'all another story. How should I compare this generation? Now, who am I pointing to? Those Pharisees. We're looking dirty at y'all this morning. Y'all, it's the Pharisee side of the room. What shall we compare this generation to? It's like children sitting in the marketplace. Okay. Now, we don't have the marketplace like they do. Have you ever been forced into the unenviable task of taking your children to work with you? Right? You got you got you, either one of them sick or the school got out or something, and you had to carry them to the office, and you... Sternly warned them, sit here and color this coloring book. Or here is these colored pens. Don't make a sound. And as soon as you got them in, some of y'all have darling children who would never make a peek outside of what you asked them to. And then there's the rest of us. What happened when you took your sweet baby children into your workplace? I left out there with a nervous twitch because yeah, it, crazy. Yeah. So they're just walking around touching people's stuff on their desk. Moving papers. What are you doing? I was looking through the garbage. Why? But I saw something cool in there. You know, your 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 cubicle neighbor has cute little knickknacks or toys that they've collected over the years, and your your child wants to go in and break them all. All right. So Jesus says, how should I compare this generation? You know how sometimes you got to carry your kids to work, right? And your neighbor had to carry their kid to work, and they start talking this crazy stupid stuff. That's what he's saying. I'm going to compare this generation. And then he says this. Uh, they call out to other children, say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you, and you did not mourn. This makes no sense to us, but here's how it should make sense. Let me, so if I can flesh it out. The kids are basically saying, hey, um, we're bored. Mom's told us to sit over here and be quiet but I just happened to bring my whistle with me. How about I blow this whistle, this little flute that I brought, and we, we have a little dance party. You got it? All right, so you're with me there. Y'all with me? And so you got your kids at work. You've told them to be quiet. They got their recorder, and you said, be quiet, and out of their pocket comes the recorder or the fidget spinner or the clickety-clackety or the little popper things. And they're like, let's play a, let's play a fun song. Let's play a fun song. And everybody's like, eh, I don't know. I don't feel like a fun song. Okay, how about a sad song? Eh, I don't know. Let's just go break stuff and make make trouble. Okay, that's what Jesus says. This current generation, y'all are a bunch of children that their parents had to carry to work, and y'all are just causing trouble. Let's come back here. He says, we played the flute. We played a, a happy song for you, and you did not dance. These are the children talking to each other, the Pharisees. We sang a funeral song, and you did not get sad. For John, and so he's going to compare this now back to him and John. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said he has a demon. So John's out there. He's eating honey and locusts, wearing camel, living, uh, living a very basic life, living... Off the land, costing no one anywhere, anyone, anybody, any, blah, 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 didn't cost anyone anything. He doesn't take up a love offering at the end of his sermons, okay? He doesn't even like you very much. You need to get saved. You need to get baptized. He's this hot-hearted, highly-spirited preacher, evangelist type, and I don't want your money. You need Jesus is what you need. And they said they said of John, those Pharisees over there, he's got a demon in him. He's crazy. So you didn't like when the guy came and lived a simple life. So Jesus showed up. Look what Jesus says. The Son of Man, that's what Jesus calls himself, came both eating and drinking. Not just grape juice. Um... And they said, Behold, he's a glutton and a drunkard. Which way do you want it? You're like children. You say, I want it this way, but you don't like it that way. Then you want it this way, but you don't like it that way. See, they're criticizing Jesus too. John had questions. He was brokenhearted. These Pharisees are looking at the same set of circumstances and going, Jesus, you say you're the Messiah. You don't look like we thought you'd look. And Jesus says, Man, y'all want it both ways and then want it neither. Neither. The son of man came eating and drinking, and you said he's a glutton and a drunkard because he's a friend of who? Tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus says, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Basically saying, I've put up, so you shut up. You've never seen me intoxicated. You've never seen me run in the streets acting a fool. I can live in a disciplined balance without falling into pits, without falling into sin. You tell me, what do you want? I'm telling you I'm the Messiah. And you said John was crazy because he res- restrained and didn't do anything. And then I come and do everything you do without any of the imbalances and sinfulness. And you say that I'm a demon, right? Y'all recall there's another passage where they, they even accuse, he's 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 got Beelzebub in him. So then Jesus goes on this, like, like macho man Randy Savage off the top rope, elbow drop on the Pharisees, okay? Because as Jesus is preaching, I can see I can kind of see him getting amped up. Like, man, I started off calling you kids, but I'm going to tell you what, I got something better for you. Here it comes, verse 20. And then Jesus began, right? Y'all never do that, do you? You ever like start saying something and like once it starts coming out of your mouth, you're like, oh, I got some momentum now. Well, here it comes. And here he comes. He began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they didn't repent. All right? So he's now hot under the collar, and he's like, you know what? (laughs) I already told John I've uh, healed the sick. uh, The blind are now seeing. The deaf can hear. The lepers have beautiful skin, better than any Mary Kay person could do, uh, if you need Mary Kay products. Um, The dead are even up walking around testifying about me and yet you still didn't believe the message of Jesus Christ. You didn't repent. And then he says this, Woe to you, I don't know how to pronounce that, so we're just going to make it up. Uh, cheerios. All right? Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ash. Now, I need to give you some little heads-up warning here. Have we talked about Tyre and Sidon at all in this Sunday school? No, and neither had they. However, within that culture, especially the Jewish culture, Tyre and Sidon were kind of in the southeast corner up here. They were, top left corner where you see the word Phoenicians. By the way, if you can read, thank the Phoenicians. They're the ones that invented alphabets. Excellent seamen, excellent uh, uh, marine traders. They were the ones that brought the the ports to power. People would come in to the Phoenicians, and then they would move the product from the sea into the land. Uh, along about uh, Alexander the Great's time, Tyre had become so big and powerful, and Alexander the Great wanted to control the tax routes. <laughs> it's all about the money, folks. It's always about the money. And Alexander the Great said to Tyre, surrender or we're going to take you out. And Tyre's like, bro, bring it. We're a we're a, a marine-capable city. They had a walled city out set out just off from the sea. And Alexander the Great stood around on the shore going, well, God, they, they told me no. No one's ever told me no before. How am I going to beat these people? And he looked around, and all around is rocks. And he has something like 30,000, 40,000 soldiers. And he got up in the morning. He's like, got the idea. Everybody pick up a rock. It's kind of like you telling your third graders, everyone pick up a piece of garbage. Everyone pick up a rock walk to the shoreline, throw it in, and then do it again and do it again. And they actually built a (coughs) causeway with the rocks laying around on the ground out to Tyre and destroyed the city. It's never been rebuilt. And Jesus is actually referring back to a passage from Ezekiel 25 through 28 where he offers absolute condemnation on these communities for rejecting the God of Israel. All right, come back to verse 21. Way to you, Chorazan, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles had occurred in these stupid, sinful towns that God said himself, he would wipe off the map. If the miracles performed in front of you had been performed in front of them, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. You think you're God's chosen people? I'm here in front of you and you can't see me. Nevertheless, I say to you in verse 22, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, whom God wiped off the planet in the day of judgment, than for you, you cities of Israel. And you, Capernaum, by the way, this is where Peter lives. This is where Jesus is living. And this is probably where he's standing as he's delivering the sermon. And woe to you, Capernaum, you will not be exalted into heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades we get our word hell. Jesus said, y'all, going, y'all going to hell. Well, that, that doesn't sound very churchy, does it? Mm-hmm. If the miracles had occurred in, what's your word? Sodom. Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom, of the Sodom and Gomorrah fame. Y'all remember those stories? How God wiped off Sodom and... We don't even know where Sodom and Gomorrah are these days. Like, there's no archaeological proof where they live. Like, we think we might know. But we don't know. That's how much off the map they got wiped. And God... Jesus says it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom in the day of judgment than for you Pharisees that keep barking up the wrong tree. And then, all of a sudden, there's a softening. So you all have those moments too where you got on on your on your on your like you you're hammering down and then the part of you that doesn't like doing that like clicks back and you're like ah I do not mean to whoop you that hard. I didn't mean to crush your spirit and take all your phone and your computer and your car and your room and made you sleep in the garage by yourself with the dog. I didn't So 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 Jesus just hammers them and then all softness comes right back. Now, this is what I want to close with this today because you need to hear this and I know you need to hear it because I need to hear it. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, this is a prayer. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Okay. These people that think they know everything, and technically, they do. I'm so glad that even though they don't get it, these people over here who are desperate for some softness and for some love and some kindness, I'm so grateful that you sent me to these people. They need me so bad. Yes, Father, verse 26, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. So he now turns to the crowd. He was praying. Now he's going to speak to the crowd. All things have been turned over, handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nobody knows me better than my dad. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. No one knows Dad like I do. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. He's saying, No one knows dad like I do, and no one's going to know dad like I do unless I reveal it to you. Come to me. Now, this is you, and this is me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light I've got a a friend in my life who is more than willing and capable to look me and go your problem is and he did this to me a couple months ago he said Caleb your problem is and I'm going to tell you what your problem is if your life is not easy and light You're doing it wrong. And you're saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You don't know what kind of week I've had. You don't know what season I'm walking through. You don't know what I've lost. You don't know what I'm losing. You don't know what I'm fighting. You don't know what I'm struggling with. Nope, sure don't. All I know is this, that none of the problems you have are any different than the problems that these people that Jesus was speaking to had, whose family members died suddenly who lost their jobs, who had terrible economies, were being conscripted to serve the military, were in a fight for their very cultural survival against people who did not care about them. None of the problems that they suffered are different than the problems that we suffer. And Jesus said, if you will join me, I will put my burden and my, my lightness on you, you put your burdenness and heaviness on me. Verse 30, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Friends, are you struggling with some heaviness right now? Is life light right now? If it's not, come back to this moment where Jesus has just blistered these Pharisees and turns back to the crowds and says, this is not as hard as they're making it. Everything God is, I am. Everything I am, God is. And we are here to offer you ease and comfort. That is not to say life ain't hard sometimes, but as you're walking it, he says, I still want to carry you through it. Does that that resonate with anybody? uh, I'm going to hit stop.